You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. hope is a person. So I'm launching, uh, we are actually, we're launching our Christmas series, month of December, and the series revolves around finding hope. How many of you would agree with me that uh, people are trying to find hope in our, in our world right now, in our country, in our communities? They're, they're longing, they're longing for hope. Um, let, me, let me touch on something. First of all, I want to welcome the online family want to welcome uh, each person that's here at the Oracle campus in person. And wow, what an what a incredible turnout. Isn't God good? So we're, we're also in the middle of our, our R1K, reach 1,000 people. We're believing that God is going to allow Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Kearney, and online to reach 1,000 people who maybe have never walked with Jesus before and are far from God. And I believe God's leading us to do that. Do you believe that? So we're praying about it. We're taking steps to, to do that. We're having a uh, year-end financial campaign. And in that financial campaign, we have a, we have a goal to, uh, at eight, to bring in $80,000 that will go into doing just that, reaching people. Uh, we had talked about the five-year plan, and in that five-year plan, we wanted to launch a after-school program for uh, parents that maybe were had in shut-in children. They were working and their kids didn't have a place to go. So we were praying about that. And, and this year, we're going to start to take steps in making sure that happens. And, uh, and we're just believing for, for wonderful things to, to take place and transpire. Because I just believe that people have been shut in uh, for the majority of 2020. And now they're, they're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And they're looking for what matters, and that's God. And so we're putting our efforts together. Now, one of the great things about this campaign that I think needs to be told, and I hope you grabbed a hold of it last week as I was talking about the R1K campaign, is there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful family in the church that uh, when we kicked off the campaign, they said, we want to be a part of, of helping this happen. And so they made it possible that uh, this year and, and maybe, you know, maybe some years to come that all the church has to do is meet them halfway. So half of it's already going to be met. The, that's pretty cool. I'd be clapping if that, I were you out there because that doesn't happen all the time. So all the Lord is asking us to do because he's already brought someone that said we want to we we be a part of this because we believe this is from God. You need to pray and, and ask God, you know, is this from you? And if it is, then you say, I want to give. And here's what I know for sure is you can never outgive God. Sean and I, since we came to the Lord, we began to be generous with our finances because God has been very generous to us. That was something we didn't do before. And we began to give to the work of the local church. And can I tell you that every year uh, God has met every need that we've ever had. And the, we have in the last, you know, once our kids went out of the house, Empty nesters, you're able to give a little bit more because you don't have kids. So for you that have kids, it, it's going to get better. 
It's going to get better. But, you know, we're able, and every year we say, can we give a little bit more this year? Can we give a little bit more? And that, there's nothing greater than that because you can never outgive God. And so I just ask you to consider uh, what, what you can give to make this happen. And here's what I know for sure. Every year we start out with uh, a goal, and every year we see God's people come up and say, let's do it together. So no pressure. Let's do it together, though. Amen? We can all do that. So finding hope. How many of you have ever looked into your genealogy? You looked into your ancestry, right? Maybe you went on a website. Uh, maybe you got a nap. And you just want to, to find out more about your lineage. There's uh, Ancestry.com. There's uh, another one called MyHeritage, MyHeritage.com. There's even one that's called Find Your Past. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> I I'm hoping I lost my past, right? And, and so the, the good thing, the good thing about finding out who your family is, is you find out who your family is. The bad thing about finding out who your family is, is you find out who your family is. <laughs> and so we come to this place that, uh, you know, we want to know about where we came from. And, and, and what, what my genealogy shows me, my, what my lineage shows me, is that my family is in desperate need of hope. And that starts with me. I'm in desperate need of hope. In fact, what I see in the scriptures is that I am destined for hope. Humanity is destined for hope. And so you're thinking right now, and you should be, you're questioning, what does this have to do with the Christmas story? And I would say everything. It has everything to do with the Christmas story because two of the, the writers of the Gospels, before they brought the birth of Jesus, they brought out his family history. And they link different people to the Messiah. They link people to the Christ. What's surprising to me about the lineage of the Lord is that there are some people there that you think, how in the world did they get in that family line? <laughs> of the Savior of the perfect one, of the Lord, of creation. But they did. They, they got there, and it, and, it, and it really teaches me uh, a lot of things about how not to take things for granted, how not to take people for granted, and especially how I should never take God for granted because God is a restoring God. And one of the, one of the narratives uh, is in the book of Matthew, the, the gospel that Matthew wrote. Now, Matthew was, before he came to Christ, he was a, uh, a tax collector. And uh, we're going to read a little bit about his, his uh, backstory and how Jesus met Matthew. And, and when Jesus met Matthew, he knew that there was a plan that was already set for Matthew's life. That's encouraging to us because there's a plan for each one of us. It doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter what our present 
condition is, it matters that we have a Savior who loves us and is not going to leave us where we're at. And he's going to begin to change our lives individually, and he begins to change everything about us. So let's look real quick at, at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. If you've got your Bible app, you can go there in your Bible app, or you can just go to your notes. They'll be there as well. And it says in verse 9, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew got up and he followed him. And while Jesus, verse 10, was having dinner at Matthew's house, he said, follow me. And then he said, where are we going, Lord? And, and I guess the white lines tell us that Jesus said, we're going to your house. <laughs> We're going to your house, and we're going to go have dinner. Matthew said, cool, cool. Because Matthew, Matthew liked hanging out. We're going to see that in the, in, the, in the context. So Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now put that in your pocket right there because he, put, he says, many tax collectors and sinners They came and they ate with him and his disciples. And we just had communion today. We, we had the Lord's Supper. And guess what? Many of us come from a sinful past. Some of us come from a sinful present. And some of us are devoted to a sinful future. We all fall short of the glory of God. Amen. And, and so then he, he, it says, uh, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, when these Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, and, and Jesus has those ears. He has those, those ears that he can hear everything. He's got that discerning spirit. He just knows what's going on. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, go and learn, the, go and learn what what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and the, the NLT puts it, I, I have call, not come to call those who think that they're righteous, but sinners. And there's so much to, for us to, to grab a hold of as, as Matthew is being called by Jesus to follow him, the, the first thing that stands out to me is that Matthew had a past. Matthew had a present as well. He was a tax collector. And tax collectors, no, notice that there was even a different category for them. There were the sinners, and those could be the prostitutes, the, the, drunk, the drunks, uh, the, the people that were, you know, um, stealing robbers and, and, and uh, just different, cat, different places. Those, those were all lumped in. But tax collectors were so bad that they actually had to put another category. They weren't even lumped in with the prostitutes and the, and the drunks, you know, and the people that were doing this and doing that. There was a whole different category. He was a tax collector. You ever lump someone into another category? Not, not first service. <laughs> Second service, oh boy. 
Kearney campus, you know, they put, they categorized. No, people are notorious for categorizing people. And he didn't even fit in the sinner category. He was worse than a sinner. He was a tax collector. They didn't say it here, but then they might say he was a stinking tax collector. He was worse than sinners. And, and religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not eat with any of these. But guess who did? Jesus did. And Jesus loved them right where they were at. He loved them for who they were. He knew he would offer them a future. He knew that he would offer them hope. For their lives. Can I tell you that hope comes in a person? And that person had dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And he loved people where they were at. And it teaches us so, 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 so many important truths about our walk with God and, and how, we should, how, how we should stand in our hope. What platform of hope do we stand on? Because there's two platforms of hope. One platform is the one that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders had. And most religious people have this, this platform. And that platform is self-rightness. Self-righteousness. And the other platform is on the other side. And the other platform would be God-righteousness. What Christ provides, a righteousness that comes through what God can do. The, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes were self-righteous. Their hope was in themselves, in their own goodness, their own good works, their lineage that was viewed through their lens. Their, their platform on which they stood was self-righteous. And, and many people, even to this day, stand on that platform. And you can hear that when people say, I'm not as bad as them. You ever heard that? Why, why, should, why should God let you into heaven? Because I'm not as bad as them. I'm not a bad person. In fact, in my estimation, I'm a pretty good person. You ever heard that before? But the Christmas story is about the righteousness of Christ. Our hope is in him. His goodness. His finished work. Our bloodline is redirected when we are born again. Who, who was Jesus talking to in John chapter 3 about being born again? A religious leader, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he said, you need to be born again because your heritage, your lineage is placed in the wrong lineage. You need the lineage of God. You need the spiritual DNA of the Father. 
You need a complete transformation in your life. And anytime, anytime that we take the spotlight off of Jesus, Christmas ceases to exist. Hear me now. Anytime you put the, take the spotlight off of Jesus and put it on someone else, you're going to hear things like, I'm going to see if you've been naughty or nice. And then the focus becomes you instead of the focus being on him who's good and loves us despite ourselves. Are you with me? And when your premise is the grace of the cross, when your foundation is the goodness of God, your lens becomes so much different with everything else. It changes the way that your outlook is. It changes the way that you view yourself because of how good God is. Because every person through the Christmas story is destined for hope. There should be an expectation of hope. There should be an expectation that there's something better for us. There's an expectation that this is not our home. We're just passing through. That we, there's a new heaven and a new earth awaiting us. And anytime that we invest into this life, we miss out on how good the next life is going to be. Now hear me now. That doesn't mean that we can't make this good life the best it can be because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more, what? Abundantly. But our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in his life. Are you with me? So, so, so Matthew, here's a tax collector, and, and, and he, he's, he's on a different platform. His platform is the righteousness of Christ. And God calls him to write out a narrative of the, of the life of Jesus. And he begins to, to, to write uh, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew and where he begins in chapter 1, verse 1, and through the next 16 verses, and they didn't have verses back then. We put them in. I say this all the time. Uh, modern time, we put them in so that, so that they, you know, we can look at them, and it makes more sense because that's how we are as people. It was a letter that he was writing. For the first part of the letter, he writes the genealogy of Jesus. Now, you have to understand something that Hebrews, and not only Hebrews, but ancient Greeks, they never included women in their in their, in their literature. And Matthew, because he's led by the Holy Spirit, he mentions four women besides before, G, before Mary. And we're going to see exactly who he lists. So God, the, God is leading him to write and show us how important the lineage of the Messiah is to us today. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, just pause right there because this is important. So he's going to the covenants, the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, which are very important to the, to the Jewish people. Now, you need, to, you need to know this as well, that this gospel, this narrative was written to Jewish people. That's who the audience was. So he's writing to, to people that would understand all this. 
Okay, he's writing like, like Mark, he didn't put any of this. Mark was writing to a Roman audience. The Romans, they wanted action. So he says, immediately, this is what's going on, and forthright, and all these different things. Now, Matthew, he's very detailed about things that mattered to Jews. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez, or Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let's pause right there. Okay, this is a juicy story. How many of you watch Lifetime? How many of you women watch Lifetime? You don't need to if you read this. So Tamar, Tamar was the, was the uh, uh, Judah was her father-in-law. Tamar was married to the eldest son of Judah. And he died before she ever uh, was, a, was able to produce a child. And so when he died, the law said that it was uh, that the father needed to give the next born male to that, to uh, the widow so that they could produce offsprings for her and give her a genealogy, give her, give her hope. So the second oldest, Judah said, go ahead and, and take uh, this second oldest of mine, Tamar, and, 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 and go and produce. Well, the second wasn't happy about it, and, and there's a lot more to the story, but he ends up dying as well because he didn't do what the Lord called him to do, so he ended up dying and so there was one more son that Judah had. And Judah said, uh, I'm, I'm going to send you away, Tamar. Go ahead and go away. And uh, when my son, my, my third son grows up, I will call for you. And you can come and, and I will give him to you. So when his third son grew up, uh, Judah was like, you know what? I lost two sons. There's something wrong with Tamar. I'll probably lose my third one too. And how many of you might say something like that? Some of you, right? Some of you men. And so he says, there's no way I'm going to do that. And so he didn't, he didn't, he didn't act and, uh, uh, and, and pull through on his side of the bargain. And so anyways, he goes uh, to a place to go and worship. And, and as he's walking in, uh, Tamar had heard about what was going on. And, and she knew that he was coming that way. And as he's walking into this, this, uh, this, this city, this village, uh, she portrays a temple prostitute. She acts like she's a temple prostitute, and she's, he's walking in. He's walking in with a friend of his, and he says, wait, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to take care of some business. And he went in there and took care of some business. Lifetime. And he went in there with a cane. This is very, very true, the narrative. You read it to, to, to make sure. He went in there with a cane. And when they were done, I'm not going to say anything else. She's, she said, uh, you know, what are you going to give me? And he, and he says, uh, she, anyways, he ends up leaving his cane with her. And he walks out skipping. Well, that's what I get. Because he went in there with a cane and he walked out skipping. And he left the cane with her, Tamar. And guess what happened to Tamar. When they did their thing, somehow she became pregnant. That was the water. I don't know what it was. But she became pregnant. And when Judah found out about it later on, he said, they said, Tamar, your, your, uh, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Or she had a child. 
And, and Judah says, we're going to kill her. I can't believe she did that. And so Tamar finds out about it, and she says, uh, go give this cane to uh, Judah and say, I'm pregnant by the owner of this cane. And that's the story of Tamar. Why would Matthew put her in the lineage of Jesus? Okay? Let's keep on going. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, so Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And she housed two of the spies from Israel and took care of them. And God, because of her faithfulness and obedience, he blessed her. And so this prostitute now, this prostitute becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's why, why uh, Ancestry.com is so important to us. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't in the, in the pure Hebrew lineage. She was a Moabite who remained faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she ended up marrying Boaz and becomes a part of the, the history. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. I'm not even going to get into King David's life. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He don't even name her. Your, your translation might be the NLT. It might be a modern translation. But the literal translation says, this is the wife of Uriah. Whom David, he doesn't go into the white lines, whom David saw bathing while his men were out at war, and Uriah was one of the men. Her name was Bathsheba. Solomon, so Beth, let, me, let me just back up a little bit. Solomon, uh, before Solomon came, he was the second child that David and Bathsheba had. The first child died. But Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Now, I'm not... When you read your Bible, there's so many things that you know. Solomon? 800 plus wives? How many concubines? He was a busy man. <laughs> He's in the lineage. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, just right there, there are so many people and things that make you scratch your head. Amen? 
Let me, let me ask you this question. Have you ever read the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus this way? And understood what's going on, the, 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 the magnitude of every person? After, verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Uh, Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of uh, Abahad. Uh, Abahad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Nathan. Nathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Wow. What a family tree. What this teaches us is that not only was Jesus born for people who had a past, he was born from people who had a past. He came for sinners. But he came from sinners. Are you with me? He can identify with you and with me except that he was perfect. He had no sin. But on his human side, you you need to understand, Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. You see, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin. It fulfilled the prophecy that that, that, that's how the Messiah would come. That's how the Christ would come. That's how the God-man would come. But fully man and fully God. And the Christmas story is for people who are destined for hope. People who have a past who are marred with family issues, who are real and not fake. That's why when we see churches with all these Christmas stories and, and we, we look at Christmas like, you know, we, it, becomes so, it becomes so comfortable. It becomes like just another story. There's so much to the story that identifies with us. It identifies with people who need a real savior in their lives. People who have a past. People that come to God and they say, take me as I am. Take me with the mess that I've been born into. The situation that I come from. Fix me. Heal me. Help me. That's who Jesus is. The one who comes and fixes. The one who comes and heals. The one who comes and transforms. If I was putting out questions to you guys and I'd say, what are your takeaways? Which I'm not doing. You'd probably say, you know, pastor, this this is something that stands out to me. Because you should. Every time that you're here, you should be a participator, not just a recipient, not just someone who is recipient, uh, recipient 
you should be able to say, you know what, this is what stands out to me about that narrative right there. But let me give you what my, my takeaways are. And maybe it'll help you with yours. The first th- takeaway that I get is his family was in need of hope. The, the lineage of the Lord was in need of hope. See, you've probably looked at this narrative and you probably never saw that. You probably read the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, and you probably never knew how broken they were. How Tamar, one husband, second husband, and then she can't produce a child, and maybe the tears that she shed. What's wrong with me? Rahab, her story, and the way people looked at her, and yes, God said, I'm going to have favor on you. You're going to be in the lineage of the Savior of the world. Bathsheba, who was a product of, of prestige. Uh, here's a king. Everyone looked at, at David as this great king. And Bathsheba, what's she going to say to this great king? No. He says, you know, you were looking hot and I was, you know, watching you from on the balcony. Was I? <laughs> what you going to do about it, big boy? I don't know if she said that. That's my takeaway. <laughs> and Ruth left widow, a widow, and all these things. And, and so we, 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 we begin to comprehend that the family in the Bible, the genealogy of Jesus, they were desperately broken. So, so here's, what, here's what I want you guys to grab a hold of. This is important for you. Don't read the Bible to try to find perfect people. Because you never will. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Read the Bible to realize that people are a mess, and their only hope is a Savior who loves them. You see, the Christmas story is founded on this truth. And, and this, this truth right here is something that you guys need to know. Online campus, you need to know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God did not send his son into the world. Let's think about the virgin birth. Let's think about the birth, the manger. God did not send his son into the world. As soon as he came out into this world, he came so that he would save all that would come to him. It says the son did not come into the world to judge the world. Another translation says to condemn the world but instead that the world might be saved through him. Why? Because the world is a mess without him. I'm a mess without him. I understand that. See, the second takeaway that I I grab a hold of every week, every day, is my family is in need of hope. 
my family. I love reading that account about the, 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 the lineage of Jesus because it says that I am not that far removed from the story of the Christmas reality. There's a lot in my past. There's a lot in my family. I, I can never ignore the fact that my family is hopeless without God. Hopeless! In our best, in our greatest day, we're hopeless without God. So much brokenness. So much need, so many bad choices. But God continues to speak to us. Jeremiah put it like this. He said, I know the plans. This is God speaking to, to us. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. That's God's word to us. That's what Jesus is all about. That's who he is in our life. For God so loved. Broken people, messed up people, people that are that, that, that no matter how hard we try to do what's right, we somehow do what's wrong. My dad did what was wrong. Not only did I do what was wrong, my dad did what was wrong. My grandpa, grandpa did what was wrong. My grandma... My mom, there's a, there comes a day that I stop blaming them, but there's no denying the fact that we need God. There's no denying that our family is hopeless without Jesus. I sat with my mother-in-law last night. How come someone didn't bring me a chair up? What's going on? I'm back. Because I wanted to share something with you guys. And so I went to my mother-in-law last night and I said, I'm going to share, I'm gonna share this, this story, this true story. I'm talking about the genealogy of Jesus and I want to bring this out. But I will not share it if you're not okay with it. She said, okay. <clears throat> so we started talking about it, and I'll kind of, I'll kind of bring out our, dis, our, our discussion as, as I go through this. Because my, my wife recently did her ancestry. Because she doesn't know who her biological dad is. See, my, my wife is a product of a, of a rape. And when that happened, my mother-in-law went through all kinds of things. And she said to me last night, you know, there were so many thoughts that I had. Should I keep her? Should I give her? Should I? Blank, blank, blank. How do I cope with this? I thank God 
she kept her. And so my wife, you know, she was raised by a, a wonderful stepdad who loved her and, and invested into her, but she just had some, there's some missing links. So she said, I'm going to do this Ancestry.com. And so Shirley and I are talking about, you know, what she said. Shirley didn't even know this. And we're talking and she says, she, she did what? Well, what did she find out? Well, she found out she's not Native American. Really? I kind of wondered about that. So we're having this conversation, right? And I'm not going to tell you all about it, but what, one of the things that stood out to me was during this time that she got impregnated, that one of the most difficult times of her life, that she went to a prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting, this lady came up and gave a prophetic word. She spoke, she spoke into her life, and she said, there's someone in here, I don't know who it is, but you're carrying a child, and this child is going to pierce your heart, it's going to pierce you, it's going to go through a lot of difficulty, you're going through a lot of difficulty because of this child. Keep the child, because this child's going to do great things. Yeah, I get, I, I get excited. And later on, she kept the child, and she got, a, she got another word. She says, you know, you don't have to share all this, James, if you, if you, if you don't want to. And I'm saying, keep it coming. It's good. <clears throat> she said, and then another, another time, another meeting I, I had, because she said, I just began to lean into God. All the, all the stuff going on, I began to lean into God. And she said, I got another, another word that this, this one of my children was going to lead a lot of people, and they were going to be very gifted in music. God spoke into her life. <clears throat> so, we need hope. My family needs hope. There's so much more to my family's story. That's just a, a bit of Shauna's story that became my story. There are things in my, in my children, things now because when, when children, when you have children, they have children, they have spouses, and they come into the family, and when they come into the family, they bring other things. Have you noticed? The good, the bad, and the ugly. But what I learned from, 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 from the story of Shauna, what, what I really want for you to grab a hold of is that God had a destiny of hope set for Shauna even before she was born. He would bring beauty from ashes. And it's not, the, the important thing about life, it's not how you begin that's important. It's how you finish. Are you with me? You know, we, we have a big court case going on right now, and, and, and all of us that are, that are followers of Christ, we're praying, we're, we're believing for, for God to, to just be with the, the Supreme Court and for him to just be, be there. But, but let me tell you something. Pastor James does not get angry with people. 
my heart hurts for people. My heart hurts because I know, I know that 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 God has a good plan. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you started. It doesn't matter where you come from. And our lineage does not define us. Our lineage points us to the need of a Savior. My family points me to the need of a, of a sa Savior. And so, so Shauna's finding out her, her bloodline. And, and sometimes we go, ooh, and sometimes we go, ah. But one of these days we're going to go, oops. And here's another thing, my other takeaway. Your family is in need of hope. You need to know that your family is not perfect. Stop trying to act that way. Church people, stop trying to act like if your family's perfect, you're just lying to yourself and you're lying to others. But your family is not hopeless either. In fact, I know that many of you listening and who are watching have broken families. You have dysfunction in your, in your family of many colors. But there's a God of hope. There's a God of restoration. The great theologian, Justin Bieber. <laughs> so let me tell you a story, a little bit of history here. So one weekend, my, 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 our boys, they were young adults, now they're adult adults. Now they're old adults. But one, one weekend, they said, we're going to go to Vegas and we're going to just go hang out. Oh, Lord. So they went there and they did their thing. But Justin Bieber ended up being there at that, week, that weekend. And they were, they were in the, some, some place, some hangout. I don't know how it happened. But my wife began to pray for this Bieber. And I don't know if it's my wife's prayers, but I know that there's other people praying. And Justin Bieber has recently said, I need God in my life. And he wrote a song recently with, uh, with um, uh, Tori Kelly, wonderful Christian singer, uh, Chandler Moore, who is with Maverick City Music, wonderful man of God, and Judah Smith, Pastor Judah Smith. And uh, the lyrics go like this. It says, uh, I, I love this. It says, when the day is over and those thoughts set in, that's when I start to wonder, where do I fit in? But, but then you remind me that you're holding me tight. He's talking about God. You say the past is behind me, and it's all going to be all right. It's going to be all right. See, sometimes we, we think about our past and how broken it is, our families and how broken they are. You need to know that God is here to hold you tight. God is here to remind you that your past 
is behind you. And he's here in your present to hold you for whatever you're going through. Whatever. It doesn't matter if it's Justin Bieber. It doesn't matter if it's James Reese. God has a plan. And he wants for you to be in that plan. And that plan has a destiny of hope. Here's my last takeaway. Everyone's hope is found in Jesus Christ. You need to know so that others can know that hope can be found. Hope is not a church. Hope is found in a person. Hope is found in Jesus. And Christmas is about hope coming in the person of Jesus. Thank God that the end of the story is not hopeless. Thank God that this is a catalyst of an anchor that we have in God. An anchor of hope that no matter what we're going through, a year doesn't define us. A pandemic doesn't define us. Jesus is our hope. No matter what we face. Paul writing to the church in Rome, he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may, the, the literal says, abound. The NIV says, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's gonna have you abound in hope. It's limitless. There's no limits to it. With joy and peace. But let me ask you a question. This is important as I close. What is your platform that you stand on today? What platform of hope are you standing on? Are you standing on a self-rightness platform? Or are you standing on a Christ platform of rightness? Here's the thing about self-rightness. There is no righteous person. None. That's a faulty platform. But the Christ platform, it's the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there's no distinction. Distinction. There's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we're justified as a gift. Christmas, think about it. As a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we do? Find the right platform. Stand on that platform. Choose Jesus. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is that every person is messed up. Every person is broken. 
Every person needs hope. And that hope is found in God alone through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Heads bowed. If you don't mind, just bow your heads. Thank you, Lord. I believe that uh, there are some of you that are watching and some of you that are here that you need the hope of Jesus today. And it's available to you. He wants to give you and provide you abounding hope so that you can walk in peace and joy this Christmas. Let me just, with a show of hands in here, everyone has their heads bowed down. If you, if you need the hope of God, just raise your hand and just say, I need, to, I need some hope. Amen, I see your hands. Praise God. Amen, I see your hand. I lead you in a prayer and I'm just going to believe that you're going to find that hope today. You're going to find an anchor that you're going to see a noticeable difference in your week. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your touch over those people that raised their hands. I pray the reality and the realness of Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit to come upon them, to fill them, Lord God, with the goodness of Jesus Christ. Fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. Let them grab a hold of the reality that they're, they're not uh, defined by their, by their lineage, by their family, by their past. They're defined in the newness that comes in Jesus. And every person today that says, Jesus, I need you in my life, you're made new. You're made new. You're born again. And so, Lord, shower them right now with your presence, we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said amen and amen. Let's all stand up and worship the one who's worthy. And his name is Jesus. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.